welcome to this very first episode of Learning the Tropes 2.0. I'm working on the title. It won't be that one. Um, I'm still taking time to decide exactly how I want the podcast to look moving forward. But um, I did something really fun last week and romance centric, and I knew it's the kind of thing that you guys would love. So I was so grateful to be asked to host a panel uh, from the Downtown Alliance on the power of the romance heroine. Uh, on the panel with me were uh, Sarah McLean, who we all know, who we all love, Reed Heartbreaker, Um as well as Adriana Herrera, who uh, her book, A Caribbean Heiress in Paris, I absolutely adored, um, as well as an editor from Berkeley, Essie Soga, who was so lovely and so much fun and so hilarious. Um, they all were. It was a really, really fun panel. Um, I was so nervous uh, kind of going into it because I had never hosted a panel before. And then I sat down and I looked at those three women and I was like, what did I ever have to be nervous about? Because they're so um, fantastic and fabulous. And I was so, um, uh, I felt so, so lucky and honored to be able to share the stage with them. So um, with, uh, also I wanted to say, you know, so many of you were able to come. I met a, a lot of troopers, a lot of people who listen to the podcast. Um, it was so much fun to meet everybody in person and everybody was so lovely and so sweet. Um, and it was just so fun to have an evening with so many people who were, you know, romance fans, and then also a few people who came who didn't really know romance, but were really entranced um, and interested in, in getting to know more about it. So all in all, a, a wonderful event. So I want to definitely take time to thank the Downtown Alliance, um, as well as Alyssa and Rebecca, who were uh, instrumental in putting it all together and, and did a, f- a phenomenal job of it. Um, and so, yeah, now without further ado, we'll go ahead and uh, listen to the panel and I will see you guys later. Happy reading. Most people here seem, it seems like a pretty romance heavy crowd, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe if we could have a quick introduction from each of you and kind of what you write or edit. Um, and sort of what got you started in romance? I guess I will start. Um, Hello again, I'm Essie, I'm an executive editor. I started my career as an editorial assistant at Avon, um, where I sort of half stumbled into that job um, just due to somebody having quit the night before my interview. And um, it turned out to be the perfect job for me because I discovered I had been reading tons of Avon authors and I worked there for several years, and then I moved over to Kensington, where I worked for nine years, and now I'm at Berkeley. And um, a highlight, which Sarah and I were just talking about, is that I was the first one to read Nine Rules of Romancing a Rake. Yeah. And Ava, when it first came in a hundred years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, very, it was very exciting. It was so exciting, <laughs> because I am Sarah McLean, and um, my... <laughs> That is, which was why it was exciting for her. (laughs) Um, And I wrote, you know, I had been reading romance novels my whole life, like out of the womb, and um, had always dreamed of writing a romance, and had written a YA novel for many reasons, um, and then wrote Nine Rules, and like had this fantasy that maybe Avon Books, which is the HarperCollins imprint for romance at the time, although now they own Har- Harlequin as well, um, 
maybe Avon would publish it. And I went in, they brought me in because I was a New Yorker and the editor called me and said, my editor, who is still my editor, called me and said, come in and have a meeting. And I thought, oh God, she's bringing me in to tell me never to write again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I walked in and Essie was there looking really friendly and lovely. And Less. the rest is history. And, and now I've written, I don't know, some number, 17 books? The 18th one is not finished yet, but will be finished by Monday. <laughs> You're really on deadline. Uh, yeah, that's why I don't remember where to sit. <laughs> and the best thing about it is being able to meet a million other romance novelists who I think are better than me, like Adriana. Um, yeah, so I am Adriana. Herrera and I write romance novels um, that center people from my culture and from where I'm from. So I am also writing my, I think my 12th novel now. Um, and you and are also on deadline for Monday. You, they really did a great job I fighting am, I know, I'm so happy to drag you away from your life's work. I am now like, if there's like a like, kind of like remedial place for authors, I'm now in like the room with like only three other students and they have like four people on us. Yes. That's how late I am, but yes, I am, I am also in that place of hard writing times. Yeah. Um, so this is off, uh, a celebration of heroines. And so I'd like to hear from each of you, who do you think the prototypical heroine is and why is it Jessica Trump? That is, a, that is the first name that floated and floated through my head, Jessica Trent. But I have to tell you, the first time I read Lord Wait, of Should we explain? Yeah, Lord, of, Lord, of, Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. Yeah. Is I can't I love it so much. It's the best one. It's the blueprint. <laughs> yeah. And I there is a scene in the book, and if you've read the book, you know what scene I'm talking about, where I literally screamed. And I, too, have been reading romance I novels my whole life. was lying on my couch like this. I can remember, you know how some people are like, oh, I remember where I was when Kennedy was shot? I remember where I was when this happened. I was lying on my couch, and then I sat straight up, and I was in my first apartment in New York City, and I can visualize the words on the page. And then you realize there was another 220 pages left. What is happening? Oh my God, this book is perfection. It's perfection. The audiobook is also excellent. Amazing. Lord, <laughs> of, Lord, of, Lord of Scoundrels. So it's a Dane and Jessica Trent. Jessica Trent. I mean, can we spoil a novel this whole? No. no, you can't spoil that. No, one. Okay. No. There's something very like, unexpected. If the majority have, have, who in this yeah, room has read, read Lord of Scoundrels? Yeah, you can't spoil it. No, it's not. You not have to. But you should all go home and read it immediately. Yes. Please. I made a friend read it this summer and I just got like every day I got another check from her that's like, what is happening? I'm like, I know. So, I know. But the reason, but can we talk about why? Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, because that's why primordial romance heroine, right? I mean, she is, first of all, there's something so, Jessica knows, knows what she wants. She is a woman who from the jump, the very first page, it's historical. Um, we meet Jessica in an antique shop where she is looking at an, a very old, kind of very dirty, like saint, like, like an icon, like an icon, like an icon, a Madonna, and she's <laughs> looking at it, and in comes this dark, like tortured, though you don't know it yet. Oh, you do know it actually, but he comes in, and he's you can like assume. awful, and he looks over, and he's just so full of himself, and he's like, "You don't want that. That's just a dirty old thing. You don't know anything about collecting antiques." And she's like, "Hmm." And then they sort of have a whole what a whole conversation, and she, you know, she 
she negotiates the price of it down to basically nothing and buys it and it turns out that of course it's a priceless artifact because she's a genius and brilliant in all ways. And he's like, I have to have her. Yeah. And this is page four. And you're like, wait, I too have to have her. I mean, one of the things that for me, and this is as someone that's been reading romance since I was 12 and love it, but also like sometimes struggle with the archetype of you know, what sometimes can be like the archetype for like a white heroine in a romance novel. What I love about her is how self-aware she is mm -hmm. and how attuned she is with her desire. She's like, he looks like a stallion and I want him. Yes. And that <laughs> is- Lust with Dane. And there's a line in the book where, <laughs> where she's talking to her grandmother who's also like this woman who's like also like kind of like a woman of the world and has this reputation and she's like, well, you have to like reel him in. And she's like, he's not a fish, he's a shark. And he's like, well, find a harpoon. <laughs> <laughs> and that to me is like why, why I love her so much. And I think she really is a blueprint for, I think, like a very modern, intersectional feminist heroine who is a woman who is not waiting for a man to tell her what her desires are, what her sexuality is, who she is as a person. She knows who she is. And when she sees him, she knows why he's the right man for her, as opposed to like, I, like I really struggle with the ingenue type of heroine that is, like that, um, like that innocence, like purity trope is hard for me, just yeah. because, be, because like I as as a person who is brown, like that is something that is not really like a cute history for people um, with my ancestors. So to me, someone like Jessica comes into the page like fully aware of like what her wants are. And and I mean through the book of course like things change but it is to me like why she is a blueprint I think as like the 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 prime to me like the archetype of like a perfect modern heroine. I just the, the reason I pulled up my phone cuz I wanted to check and like everything we're saying if you read romance sounds very familiar but this book was written in 1995. Yes. Mm. Like this was not the way mm -hmm. people were really writing historic particularly historical romance yes. heroines at the time and um, when I was at Avon there was this romance organization there was a conference in New York Avon had a big party and Loretta Chase doesn't go outside and <laughs> she came to the party. Did people cry? Uh, I cried. The screaming. <laughs> it was like the Beatles because, A, she doesn't come out much, but this book is like so fundamental, I think, yes. to one or two generations of romance writers because she changed the game. She did change the game. I have to say that there's another romance heroine from that kind of like older school type of author. I love Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Oh, yes. But they are the same. They are the same. I mean, it, I mean, they're contemporary, right? So they're not the same, but it's they- It's contemporary romance. Although she does that. have like two historicals we're not gonna talk about. But, um, <laughs> like her, again, like you always say, like it's not a heroine who is a mess, but it's a heroine who is in a mess, mm. but who comes into the situation aware of the mess she's in. And she's like, how can I find someone to help me sort this mess out? And this gigantic man who plays football is the one to do it. Yeah. And she executes her plan to perfection. Well, don't you feel also that the modern, the cornerstone of the modern romance heroine and like the thing that is so valuable about the best of them is that too often from the, the outside perception of the genre is, oh, it's 
damsel in distress, right? Like she has to fall in love because through love she survives. Like she thrives and survives. These women, these heroines, like they could they could totally live their lives without falling in love. Love is the cherry on top of their life in absolute power. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what love does for them, what these heroes and, and, and heroines, what their partners do for them is give them an, a way to see themselves from the outside and to see all the ways that they can thrive. Yeah. And that's what Jessica does and every Susan heroine. It I had to be you. It's so good. Uh, it, it had to be as perfect. I mean, I, I reread her entire backlist last year. Um, and it's honestly, give you give yourself that gift. I should do that. <laughs> and I have forgotten the amount of stuff that she was doing like in 1998. Like uh, there's one book that she has and it's like the, the, the wife of like a fallen evangelist, like this like tele-evangelist who kind of like First lady? Ru runs off. It's um, Dream on a Little Dream, I think, oh. is the one. And runs off with like all the money from this town, and she comes back to this town in shame. And it's honestly like I was like, I can't believe she wrote this. Like mm -hmm. I can't believe she took on <laughs> an evangelical Christian televangelist like wife and kind of like executed this to such an emotional story. So. Again, to me, that those are like perfect examples of just wonderful feminist mm -hmm. heroines. Yeah. And something that you touched on, Adriana, that I think is really interesting is not seeing yourself in the kind of prototypical heroines of maybe when the genre started. So you've written historical now. Um, what was your experience sort of with like crafting your heroine for Caribbean heiress? I mean, it was hard <laughs> because I, again, I couldn't like go to a bookstore and be like, "There's, n I don't have no reference text." Like, I couldn't go to a bookstore and be like, "Let me get that like really great series with a Dominican, <laughs> with a Dominican heiress." Like, I, there was literally nothing for me to draw from, even Latin American. Like, there was nothing. Not mm -hmm. that like someone from Argentina is the same as Dominican Republic, we're like twenty-two countries away, but like there was literally nothing. Yeah. And so, a that was hard, just in terms of like having nothing to go from, no frame of reference. But also really trying to write in a voice that didn't like mimic like the language and the lens of um, what had already been written, but also kind of had the stuff that I love about historicals. I've, re I've read a lot of historical novels, so I know the things that I love, like a, a good ball, <laughs> or like a good makeout sesh in a carriage, or like, <laughs> Amaze, like think, like the things that are like the conventions. Amaze is unsung. That's a good one. <laughs> the gowns, like the things that we like, those like pleasure points of like a good historical romance. But it had to be really grounded on a like being letting people being able to imagine brown people in those spaces as we were. Like the idea that like the you know. Columbus came to the Americas in 1492, and 300 years later, no Dominican person had ever gone to. The boats never <laughs> went the other way. <laughs> they never went the other way. And so that piece, but I mean, to me, it's also, the, to me, everything's about lens and gaze. And to me, what I get to do is like, the book I'm writing right now is a lesbian romance. So it's two women, and they're both Latin. One of them is white, and she's kind of like a Sheryl Sandberg feminist. Mm. <laughs> and I feel like, to me, part of what 
the job is of today, because there are a lot of heroines being written today that I can't connect to, because they're women that don't think about politics. They're women that don't really have a political affiliation. They're women that have no opinions on things that are like important to our world right now. And that's not a heroine that I can write. So to me, part of our job is to complicate the conversation, even about like how women relate to each other. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's, that's an important piece of like what I'm trying to do. It's like complicate the conversation, even about like how a white Latin woman and a brown Latin woman like occupy the same space. Yeah. Um, and I think, Sarah, something that you've talked about in, uh, on Faded Mates um, is... I have a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I talk a lot about romance novels. Uh, is how romance tends to be a reflection of the culture, even like a little bit before the culture yeah. understands what's being reflected. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of the authors most uh, being women, but also how do herons kind of fit into that sort of women writing women, is this confusing? Women writing women no. in, a, in a world that they want to see, it seems. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at it through the lens of heroines, and that is, you know, obviously most of the texts in romance for mm -hmm. the 50 years that modern romance has existed, right, have been, most of those texts are male-female, right? Mm -hmm. And now we are, we are seeing that shift, and it is an important shift. But heroines, part of what romance delivered to to readers in the 70s, 80s, and 90s was a place where women could thrive on page and not die at the end, right? And I mean that in terms of love, I mean it in terms of sex, like uh, um, in terms of pleasure, in terms of power, in terms of jobs. We didn't have to see, at no point in romance, we, as writers, right, the, the covenant that I make with you and that Adriana makes with you as a, as, as, as a romance author is we will take you on a journey. You are going to feel feelings. You're going to feel them up here at 11, and then you're also going to feel them down here at 11. And I hope you cry your eyes out while you read my books. But at the end, I want you to be so happy. And I want you to feel safe and taken care of. And that is something that only romance has give, has been able to give readers. And genre, I mean, obviously in thrillers, in mysteries, the killer is captured, the, you know, the mystery is solved, but in a really different way. I mean, how many times have we seen women, people of color, queer people harmed on, on page in those texts and, and in a terrible, terrible way? Um, and so when I say romance reflects the world that we live in, that is a big piece of it, right? It was a place for, in early romances, for us to talk about things like assault and, and things that harmed women and readers to really see themselves in, in those heroines who were being harmed and then see triumph come from it, see themselves thrive. Um, now, there's a lot going on in romance. And if, and if we are reflecting the world, and I think Essie could probably speak more to this, but like if, we're, if we are a genre that, that reflects the world, what are we reflecting right now? And how is the genre, what does the genre look like in the 2020s? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because one of the things I was thinking about is one of the common complaints within romance um, is why there's so many dukes, why there's so many millionaires slash billionaires. Uh, now and 
I think there are a few reasons, but one of them is something Sarah was saying, which is it's about women writing women in the world they they want to see the way they want to see them, and for that you need access to power. And women in these scenarios, the way to access the power was through men, and you needed a really powerful man mm -hmm. to do all the things. So that is why you have so many dukes and so many millionaires and billionaires because it created the space for the woman to do whatever the things were that she was going to do. Because otherwise, you can't. A woman in 1815 can't like save an orphanage without a man. Money, like it's power. just not possible for her to do that. And now, as we like look at more stories and we learn more and we see other ways women could access power, and I think those are some of the things we're seeing reflected in romance today. The other things I think we're seeing reflected, I mean, like Sarah was saying, we're seeing um, more queer characters, we're seeing more sort of relationship structures, um, we're definitely seeing more characters of color. But I think when we look at sort of the trajectory of sort of the heterosexual male-female relationships in romance, I think feels weird to say this, but I think we're seeing more interesting men than we have. I think we're seeing men with <laughs> friends and men who men need talk friends. about their feelings with someone other than the lead female character and who go to therapy <laughs> and who like look at their corporate raider job and are like, maybe what I want to do is run a bakery. You know, like we're starting to see these more complex lenses on masculinity, I think because that's now the power. Because we're starting to see more complex we're starting to see that in the world. But also that's the power that women want to access now, right? Millionaire or not, I would like to be able to have a reasonable conversation with you about the world and not feel like you're just going to punch the wall and walk out. I mean, it's OK, though. I'm, 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 I'm here for a wall As I said it, I'm here for a evangelist. As I said it, I was like, time out, Missy. Runs are a great way to oh, go with the courtship oh. process. I mean, yeah, I, and I, I also man. kind of, here's what I want. I want a man who goes, I, I mean, <laughs> I want a hero in a romance novel who goes to therapy and does all these nuanced things and has all these nuanced thoughts and has friends, but also will bring me a bag of the heads of my enemies yes. when I ask. 100%. Yes. And I will say, one of my favorite heroes of the last, I don't know, five years or so was Tom Severin and Lisa Kleypas's Oh, Five Feelings. Yeah. Five Feelings Tom is so good and i love him because like he only ever gets up to like seven or eight feelings <laughs> but he's willing to acknowledge that like other people have feelings and i guess i can deal with that <laughs> like you know he's not changing fundamentally who he is and he will absolutely absolutely he bring you bring your enemies heads us. their children he does not care no he will burn the world down for you and then he'll like buy you a rose and it'll be great but i like that <laughs> even within someone like tom you have, have him is. acknowledging like yeah there's complexity to the world, whether or not I participate. Yeah. And it is the difference. I mean, you write both historical and contemporary. And there is a difference yeah. in the way. I mean, a hero in a historical can bring you the, a, a bag with the heads of your enemies. Yes, right. Yeah. In now contemporary, it it's you know, a little trickier. Which is interesting. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was at the Cloisters last week, and I wrote a, a Harlequin Desire that's called One Week to Claim It All, and there, I did a scene where there's a fist fight in the cloisters. Perfect. Perfect. And I was thinking to myself, there are more fights in my contemporaries 
then during my historicals, but I write Latin men, mm. so. <laughs> Fair enough. So I, but yes, like I think there's just like a different way that people dealt with the world, and there's things you can get away with in historical in terms of like over the top behavior. And like har Harlequin category is a great space in a contemporary romance to do that. Then you can get like in your average rom-com. I do think like we are kind of in a space, and I I'm finding this more and more, it's like, I think the rom-com has evolved into this thing that I think is, is more about like a read that will be like 100% comfortable than it is so much about like complicated. I was literally having an argument about this today, yes, so like, I'm nodding I like, along with you. To me, historical still does like a very like layered, like kind of like journey for a hero. Like a, a hero that starts in a place of like. A manimal. A animal and ends up with like you know crying or whatever or not cry like one single tear while he punches something. But what what I'm saying is like there's like there's a lot more space to well it's fantasy we've talked yes. about this yes. historicals are fantasy novels yes well, I yes. think all all romance there's an element of fantasy because like yeah reading it's in a contemporary two people fighting the cloisters that sounds phenomenal if that was my husband I would be upset right. and that's okay but I think. Um, Something that you mentioned that I think has been uh, a, a difficult part of romance is how the men or the heroes are allowed to be uh, damaged and mean yeah. and Tom Severn only having four feelings, three feelings. Um, and, the, and the women not, a lot of them. And then there's sort of this you know, difficult woman or unlikable heroine. Um, I'd love to hear... <laughs> it seems like there are opinions about that. Etsy, maybe if you want to. Well, what's so funny is I often have authors who think their heroines are unlikable. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're wrong. <laughs> and they are wrong. But I think it's that thing because you're, they're writing women who don't know what they're doing, mm. which is a big part of life. And so I think that there was, you know, from evolving from like the Jessica Trents of the world who were so self-assured and knew exactly what they wanted and were super, super confident. And I think particularly in contemporary romance these days, there are a lot more heroines who are like, WTF? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I want. Maybe they've been married and divorced. Maybe their life has just like not turned out the way they want career-wise or with their family. And I think that particularly when you're looking at the world around the heroine, the friends, the family, the job, that if those things aren't neatly buttoned up when it starts, I think there is a fear from the writer like, oh, people aren't gonna connect with her. They're not going to respond. They're not gonna like her. And there was certainly a time where that was true. And I think that that's changing as maybe more readers are realizing that they too do not know what's going on. <laughs> um, but I think that there was definitely a lot, especially like early in my career when I was at Avon, so many times, is she likable, is she likable, is she likable? I'm like, well, what does that mean? And for me, I'm like, can I sympathize? Can I empathize? Even if I wouldn't well, want to be friends right? with this person, yeah. do I get what they're doing? Right. Do I get what they're going through? And that I think readers are responding to more. But yeah, I mean, I think we're only, I mean, I still see in contemporary romances now where like, the heroine is like might as well be a virgin for all of the experience she has or has like literally never had a nice boyfriend in her entire life until she meets this man and i think that's part of it where it's like oh if she's like 
experienced or if she has had good relationships, then how can this man come along and save her? And it's like, well, that's not what we're doing. That's not the goal here. Well, it does feel like the genre, the audience for the genre is also fracturing in a lot yeah. of different ways, right? The, the, the reason in the last, you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, there's been an, obviously an, an immense explosion in romance reading. How many here started re reading romance during the pandemic? Yeah, it's really very common that people, you know, and it's, it's um, you know, you think about Emily Henry or Allie Hazelwood or... Christina Lauren and the the books that have really landed hugely over the course of the pandemic have brought a new world of romance readers in like people who never thought of reading my books because you know they look the way they do or never thought of reading of trying like anything outside of women's fiction and now they're looking at like romantic fiction right and what Emily and Allie and Kate Claiborne and uh, Christina Lauren are doing or have done for us is really sort of brought a whole new world of people into romance also via TikTok and mm. that's a different group of readers <laughs> who are much more willing to yes. like an unlikable heroine. And I wonder if you have found this because I also found I worked when I was at Kensington we have the Dafina imprint which is an African American uh, imprint, it started as Arabesque Books. It was like the first uh, romance imprint for black authors. And I have found that a lot of the romances I worked on, particularly early in my career, by black authors were categorized as fiction or were put other places, not just because they were written by non-white authors, although that was a huge part of it, but because the stories were complicated in this way. Yes. Mm -hmm. And people were like, well, the romance doesn't do that. Right. So that's not a right. romance. And I, I'm wondering whether you encounter that as you write now. Sorry to steal your- No, please do. Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, it, like, I mean, I have complicated feelings about yeah. like the- fra I, I mean, one thing I do think is generally, I feel like, um, right now, like romance feels like like romance the the romance audience feels less um, willing to read things outside of like what like is already very popular, and so like I, it's a hard answer. It's hard for me to answer this because I think writing, like I was thinking about small town romance, for example, I was talking to, I, I mean, I'm in a lot of chat groups with other women of color who write romance, and, and like we've been in like an existential crisis for the last two years. Because like it feels like, in a way, for, like for us to approach some of the themes that are like really present right now, like a, a, a cozy small town romance, for example, someone that like is returning home, for example, like for someone that's like perhaps like the child of undocumented immigrants, that story is gonna have to, is gonna offer the reader some themes that are going to be less comfortable mm -hmm. than if they were reading something from someone that's like white and their family has been living in like Ohio for like four generations, 20 generations or whatnot. So to me like, like I think right now romance Yes, like the audience feels fractured, and I and I also feel like there is like I almost feel like it's like the same thing is happening with the streaming services. There's so much content. Yes, that unless that, like you're literally like the only thing that's rising to the surface is like the Marvel, the MCU universe type novel, mm -hmm. and so 
like what I would love to see is for us to go back to a place where like those more complicated stories because the heroine that's coming from, you know, like if like my story is not going to be the same as the story of a heroine that has like a certain background and it's an American story. So right. I think to me like that's part of like it's hard for me to answer what this like the romance heroine look like because in reality the, there there are different kinds of romance heroines and the beauty of romance is that you can sink yourself into that complicated story of someone that has an experience that's very different from yours and you know you'll get a happy ending. So you can trust that everything will be okay in the end and that you perhaps might learn something that you didn't know before. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think we're gonna do Q&A in a second, but before we do, your three romance fans that now work professionally in romance, yeah. um, <laughs> do you have any advice for anybody who wants to start working in the genre professionally, writing, editing, anything? Well, I used to say you should join RWA. Um, Don't do that. That is no. the organization I was so blithely yeah. referring to earlier. Um, it sounds so basic, but you've got to read it. Yeah. And you have to read all of it. You have to read every, and I don't mean all the time, I just mean like, Knowing what's out there is so important. Understand, like right now, the one name we haven't, we've danced around is Colleen Hoover right now, right? Who, I mean, is so incredibly popular and whether you like her books or not, like knowing what those books look like is so important. Knowing that there are fantasy romances and historical romances and, um, you know, sci-fi romance. I mean, there's so much and when, and, and the genre is so, Rife with people who love it and who want to share the books they love with you. Um, that I think finding new authors, different authors, reading old stuff, reading new stuff, it helps so much. When I first started writing, I mean, and I have, like I said, I've been reading romance since I was 10 or 11. Um, and my favorite thing, and she's basically stopped doing it now because I, I think now she, whatever, my editor used to look at my manuscripts and then send me a reading list and be like, mm. I read this book, now go read these 10 other romances. You graduated, that's what happened. I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> but you used to get, Avon had a list that they would give to all their new authors, and their new editors, and say, these are the books. And of course, like, those books have changed, but reading it is so important. Yeah, like, please read things written before 2020, so that you can get like a, like a, because th this genre, has like a deep history and there's so much that has evolved and that's changed like from the Twilights to the Fifty Shades of Grey to the Jude Devereaux, the Julie Garwoods to the Laura Kinsales like I think like you have to kind of go to the, the genome of romance if you want to write it and the genome of romance is old. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's not really that old. old. But, I mean, you know, it's oldish. Yeah. But the it's other thing about romance, because it reflects the world we live in, it moves so fast. Yes. We're like 10, the, the like first modern romance was published in 1972. We're 10 generations from that now in romance. At least. And, at least. So yeah. Yeah. And also we're, we're mainly friendly. Like, you should meet us. us. Me oh, romance yeah. People. I know. <laughs> we love to talk about I mean, about we romance. met because Adriana walked up to me and said, I'm writing a chef romance. And I was like, I want to read it. And she sent it to me that night. And we've been talking about romance now every look at single us. day. <laughs> a dog and pony show. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I guess on my side of things, if you yeah. wanted to get into the publishing side in romance specifically, um, you have to love it because we know if you don't. And are really, <laughs> so when I went in for this interview, and my then boss has told me this, she was really hesitant because I have a master's degree in English and she thought I was gonna be really snobby about romance. <laughs> and then she saw that I wrote my thesis on Will and Grace and she was like, oh, <laughs> she's one of us. Um, but that's a real thing in romance because mm -hmm. it's a real issue that we face still to this day, even with the Julie Quinns and the Colleen Hoopers and the Sarah McLeans and the Adriana Hurettas and everybody <laughs> who is so beloved, we still face that stigma. And so you're gonna have to like, have your bona fides. But the other thing is you have to really know um, the point. Because a, a romance novel, there's a happily ever after. And if you think that's all, like that, those two things are like the least important parts mm -hmm. of putting the book together. It is all the in-between that you have to be able to bring to it, whether you are an editor or you're an agent or you're looking to publicize the book or market the book or sell the book. It is those in-between parts that are the unique things that call to people and make it different. If you can't identify those, if your experience of reading romance is just the I'm gonna be happy at the end, then I think you would find it very difficult to work on this side of romance because every romance novel that is sent to me, whether with an agent or not, has a happy ending and 90% of them are the most torturous things I've ever read. Oh no. <laughs> because there's nothing in them at all. Yeah. And so the love of romance can get you into it, but if you don't really understand all those nuances, I think you will, it will steal your love of the genre, which would be the worst thing. Um, and so I think I would just be really, really clear what it is you would wanna do on the publishing side. It sounds like a dream job and if, you want it, it is one, but it's a very, very hard job if you mm -hmm. do not. Because, um, I mean, I literally have to spend this weekend thinking about two titles that I thought were done, and now they're not. And so, like, that is what <laughs> my part of the job is, and that part's not fun. And you will not enjoy any bit of it if you don't really love, like, the nitty-gritty of what makes a romance novel tick. I mean, that's the magic trick, right? Like, you know, like, when you read a mystery, you know that they're going to find who killed the person in the end. But, like, the whole trick is, like, you don't know who it is until the very end. Right. So with the, with the romance, you can't be sure that they're actually going to be able to get yeah. together until the end. Like, if you are certain these two people are, like, good to go by the halfway point, then you don't need to keep reading. They're fine. They're good to go. Yeah. The question I ask myself, and some of you have probably heard me say this on the podcast over and over, is why can't they be together right now? And I ask myself that question at the end of every single scene, yeah. and I literally write it down in a notebook. Because I know that if the answer is the same for too long, I don't have it. I know that if the answer is, well, they can be together right now, I don't have it. Yeah. Um, and we can talk more about writing if you want yeah. to, but right. That's a yeah. That's a great writing tip. Yeah. Do we want to collect the cards or? Yes. Yeah, so um, if anyone has questions, if you can just pass them to the middle aisle now, and once they're all collected, I'll come through and grab them. Questions from this room? As one of the books that Carrie gave to me was Flowers from the Storm. <gasps> Whoa. I, I mean, that's what we like, didn't talk about. Six months, and she was like, "Have you read this?" I was like, "No." She's like, "Go home." That's like, master. Okay. Talk that's about like a book that's level. It does not follow any of the rules. Any. That book is insane. I mean, just, Flowers of the Storm Lord from the Storm does not follow the None rules. of the rules. No. But I mean, that's the thing. That's but you why have it's to like be them. Yes. 
That's why it's yes. a game changer. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, even oh yeah, good. No. <laughs> we're still we're mic'd too. I know. So. No, this yeah, this is yeah. Well, while you. we're collecting questions, Ange, uh, Angelina Lopez's After Hours Thank on Milagro you. Street. If you're looking for a really like top-notch, okay. uh, unlikable heroine. And I mean, that's the perfect example of what I was saying, like about a, <laughs> like, like, a going, like a going home story right. that's comp, that's like with a woman that's like Mexican American and has like mm -hmm. a really kind of like complicated history with that town. Like mm -hmm. to me, that again, and I wish that more people would read that book oh, because so great. it's honestly perfect. Mm -hmm. After Hours on Milagro Street by Angelina M. Lopez. It's also it's one of the sexiest books I've read yeah. in a long time. Sarah's already texted me about this a few times. There, I, Listen, how many, very they're real. In room, they're in like adjoining rooms. Oh, it's not even a one room? And the door, the wall is so thin <gasps> oh. that they can hear <laughs> each other. It is great. Like, right. um, this is a good question because I think it kind of <laughs> flows into what we have been talking about. So they want to write historical romance but haven't studied lit or uh, studied history or lit on a degree level, is that a handicap? I'm uh, gonna guess no. On a degree level? No. no. Are you interested in it? I mean, you have to be interested yes. in it. You have to be really curious. But, I mean, I have a degree in economics and a master's in social work and an MBA I don't talk about. <laughs> None of those things prepared me to write a historical romance. But I'm, I love nonfiction, I love history, and I think that just being a really curious, I mean, the, I think the only thing you need to be with historicals is really curious, but also, like, it's not like it's real, real history. Yeah. No, nobody has lice in any of my books. Yeah. And, like, I, I live for an author's note, so if oh, you're yeah. like, this wouldn't have been there at that time, but I wanted it, I'm like, great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I all right. You. Yes. I, my romance I'm writing right now is a lesbian romance and it's set in Paris. And Paris, it's in 1889. And Paris in 1889 was literally the gayest place on earth. I mean, <laughs> lesbians were just living their best lives. And mm -hmm. a lot of the things that I thought could not be true were the things that I found to be absolutely well, true. Well, they're gay bars, yes. Were they making out on the street? Yes. That's the thing that's amazing about writing historicals. I've written however many. I'm currently writing a Victorian era girl gang who like do vigilante crime justice all throughout London. And you would think that that would be totally made up. But in actuality, when you, ha I've never had an idea that I couldn't find evidence of in history. There was in fact a regency of Victorian era girl gang and they did crime justice. <laughs> and like, so it's amazing. Come up with the idea and then go to the text. Yeah. Librarians are your friend. The health bells. Start with Bombshell and then Heartbreaker and Pre-Order Knockout, which I mean. I, I think that you can buy it just right back on that table. The text I received from my friends about your books oh. are truly hilarious. That's so nice. Because they're always like, have you talked to Sarah lately? Do you know when the next book is coming out? I'm like, no. August 22nd. I don't know. I don't if I turn it in on Monday. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, they are excited. No pressure. I, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> think this, I like this question a lot. Is, uh, do you think there's a space for romance with heroines that are 50 plus? Here's what be. I will say. Ooh. And this, maybe this is a pet peeve of mine. Questions like this are great questions. I think the answer overall is yes. You have to buy them. There are romances right now right. on the shelves with heroines over 50 mm -hmm. that you're not buying. 
So if you don't buy them, we on the publishing side are just, there's only so much we can put out there because we put them out and then people don't read them. And this is true in a lot of areas when people are like, how come all these books have X, Y, Z? It's because those are the books that people buy. And yes, there are other factors, of course. Publishing, on my side of things, has a lot of work to do. But I have published. I publish books with older heroines. I publish books with older heroines and younger heroes. I publish books with people of all backgrounds. Awesome. And I see reviews where people are like, oh, I don't, I don't know, I couldn't connect with them. Or and this, and I will say, this often comes from people in the group mm. that those characters are representing. So yes, there is a place for it, but you have to buy them and you have to talk about them and you have to shout them from the rooftops. I'm going to talk about publishing one. is slow. It is a slow ship to turn. Yeah, you should if you're interested in what's called the word you're looking for when you Google is seasoned romance. That's the cat the subcategory. <laughs> I know it's mm. we love a term in the publishing industry. <laughs> I don't love that one. Let's. <laughs> I love the name things. Um, and it's called, uh, but Karen Booth writes them. She's great. She writes these great contemporaries. She wrote one that I really enjoyed called Gray Hair, Don't Care. <laughs> and the hero, hero, the hero is Keanu Reeves. Basically Keanu Reeves. Ooh. So I'm you for want, it. You want it. Um, and there's a new one called Come As You Are, which is about, um, like, if you're, if you're a Gen, a gen oh, Xer. Yes. Um, and you too cried when Kurt Cobain died, um, you can find that's a delight. The heroine owns a ski resort. The other thing about contemporary romance that's amazing is everybody has cool jobs. Such a mm. cool job. She owns a ski resort. It's falling to pieces, but he's, that's a good one. it's fine because he's an old uh, aging rock star and he's going to. Yeah, that's a good one. It's fine. <laughs> it's called Come As You Are, like the Nirvana. It's a quick read album. and it's super sexy. It's really great. Yeah. First off, I have to say, you guys have amazing penmanship, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, you're a big writer, a letter, a letter writer. So I am. Care. Pen Palooza, guys. And I think um, this is sort of a combination of the two, which I, I do find really interesting, is why do you think uh, certain historical periods are overrepresented in oh. romance? And secondly, um, how do you write women from a modern lens in a historical environment? Why? So I'm going to take the second part. Okay. The first, I mean, I can only guess that yes. Georgia Hare. Hare has a lot to do with it. White, yeah, Jane Austen. And Jane Austen, and not because those are romantic, yeah. but because the yeah. people who are writing romances love Jane Austen. Yeah, yeah. And so that is a time or period Bronte, that is yeah. quite yes. or the Bronte sisters beloved to them, which, which we have. Her to thank for dark romance, but like, <laughs> so I mean, I, I I assume I don't write in the Regency because like I'm writing black and brown people, and I ref I can't write romances before there was no longer any slavery in my own country, which was 1844. So to me, just because. Like I'm giving myself because I have to talk about those things and it's too sticky. Like when you are a when you have the privilege of writing a romance where slavery ne never comes up, then you can keep writing regencies until the pen runs out, the ink runs out, and the battery of your laptop is gone. Yeah. But like for for I think part of the the wonderful thing of more people kind of coming into historical is that you can kind of like dig into. Other periods, other settings. I don't write in London. I write in Paris because Paris is where all the brown people were, and so like that's part of like kind of expanding your like the lens. And uh, as for modern heroines in historicals, I think 
like I said, they existed. Yeah. It's not it's not that modern. You know, people first of all, you know, when people talk about modern heroines, they talk about feminism. Well, feminism existed. Yeah. Uh, suffrage existed. There was abolitionism. There was there were anarchists. Yeah, there I, yeah. were a lot of anarchists. Yeah. Um, you know, the, anything that you can come up with that you think of as a modern idea is not modern. Um, it, premarital sex. There's a lot, a lot of babies oh, in church gosh. registries that were born at five <laughs> and six months old. Um, or and, and if you go to the Caribbean, so many mixed children, and I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. where? So <laughs> I mean, they're just it. All you have to worry about is if you're writing a Regency, and I don't write Regency anymore, partly because of this, because I got bored with all of that. But if you're writing Regency, your editor's probably gonna write in the margin somewhere, where is her chaperone? Yeah. So like, she's gotta be like old and infirm and in the corner. Right. Yeah. I mean, and even, like, this is something that I touch upon in this book specifically because she has a chaperone, but it's not because she needed one. And like, she was from the Dominican Republic and she lived in Venezuela. They didn't really do that, and like there was like no debutante ball that you needed to be like be like keeping yourself for. But her mom gave her one because she was super wild. So like that's mm -hmm. that's like that's the best to me. Part of it is also again like the I think the it's almost like we've been writing historical like like think of historical basically as New York City, and we only like have used Bryant Park as our set. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine if you've written every single New York City no romance novel in, like, the Bryan Park area. And, like, you haven't gone af outside of it. Like, it's going to be a very specific thing. But it is changing. Like, oh, there, yeah. it's And it's changing so fast now. And part of, partly because there are fewer, it feels like there's so much more contemporary than there is historical right now. So the historicals that are, are still coming are, yes. are really telling a different kind of story. And you know, I said earlier that historicals are basically fantasies, and part of the reason why we do it this way is because you can sort of wipe away all the trappings of mo the modern world and still have a conversation about patriarchy, about yeah. intersectionality, about race, about class, about, I mean, class, you can't talk about class in contemporaries the way you can in historicals. I mean, I honestly feel like the more like interesting and like really thoughtful feminist romances that I've read in the last few years have all been historicals. And I just would say too, to Sarah's point about if you think of it, then go find the text. There are a lot of things that we sort of think of as staples of historical romance, as a rule of historical mm -hmm. romance that like have absolutely no historical backing and have our contradictory. Like a perfect example is tea, like afternoon tea, yeah. which is everywhere in Regency romances and was just like not a thing in the Regency. <laughs> yeah. But if you were to write a Regency hair. romance, and you put tea in it, nobody's gonna write you a mean little letter about how they didn't do tea that way because everyone just accepts that yeah. as part of the world. So there are things in there that you don't have to do and there are probably things that you have no idea you could do if you wanted to go these time periods. But yeah, whenever I'm looking for historicals, I do always say like, I would love a setting that's not done very much mm. in a time period that's not done very but much. But that goes back to your point, you gotta buy them. Yeah. Um, like, American set, there's a reason why it doesn't exist. Yeah. And yeah. Or, and honestly, like, any, like, Latin America, yeah. Asian, like, I was, I've been, re I, I do this thing where I reread, like, a really favorite author in the beginning of the, I've been rereading Sherry Thomas's <gasps> backlist. There, yes, exactly. That's a S-H-E-R-R-Y. Yeah. Thomas. T-H-O-M-A-S. Honestly, like, 
I mean, I can't say enough yeah. things about these women, this woman's books. But like, she has. Like, I was reading up because she's, she's from Taiwan, I think. She came from yeah, and she is. She writes like white protagonists, but she tried to sell a Chinese historical for like seven years and couldn't sell. And this woman writes a freaking perfect book. And she couldn't sell it. And so, like, we could have had Chinese historicals this whole time. <laughs> and, and like, people are not buying them, not reading them. And the thing about romance is, like, you got to hand sell it. Yeah. That, like, yes. the way you, like, I mean, and Book Talk now has taken that to, like, a degree that's, like, yeah, kind of, like, awe-inspiring and breathtaking. But, like, how you sell a romance novel is by telling people how much you love it. And so you got to read them so that they are out there and that they can make your the canvas for you to write right. bigger. When I say buy it, like that includes libraries. Like I don't actually yeah. care if you spend money on the actual right. book. Like take it out from the library. That's amazing. I love the Libby app. If you don't have it, get it. Yeah. Um, but the t it's the talking. It's the yes. talking about the books because um, there are books that everyone's going to talk about. Like the next Emily Henry comes out in April. Like you don't have to tell people to go read Emily Henry. I mean, do. I love her. I probably will tell <laughs> people to great. read Emily. But like the way that could move the needle for a different author, for you talking and sharing, I think that sometimes we don't do a good enough job of telling readers how important the talking part is, even more so than the reading part. It's telling people about this thing that you found. And, and Sherry, you want a modern heroine for historical? Yeah. Please read like all of Sherry Thomas. I just read, we read Delicious this week. She's a chef. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, I'm like, what am I even doing? I don't know. <laughs> Everything's been done. Throw your already, computer away. Um, but also come if after this. Af we all we all read a lot of romance novels. So yes. ask us. Yeah, you can find you. whatever your thing is. There's somebody in romance writing it. Yeah. I got the five minute flash, but oh. this, I'm just going to ask a very complicated, complex question anyway. Right. <laughs> um, which is uh, sort of paraphrasing a question that somebody asked. It's we all know that how romance is treated in the in general society, even though it is getting better, obviously. What are things that can be done to change its perception? Because as we've all learned here tonight, it's a very complex, interesting, dense genre. Um, and it's still treated as though it's just, you know, knights on horses, which, again, they, they're there and they're magnificent. Yeah. But it's not just that, you know. I mean, that's a hard question. I mean, even now, like in the last year, like there's been like a trend to have like, like more like generic covers, like mm -hmm. covers that don't have like a Fabio type situation on there. And to me, like that's part of like, we have to interrogate why that is, right? Like what's happening for us as a readership that we are like finding it, like, like kind of going back to like a place of discomfort. Up. I mean, like we've been reading it for a long time. I've been reading romance since I was 12, I'm 44. Mm -hmm. It's been a long road. So to, I'm like in the place where like I I will like I don't have I'm an advocate for it and to me part of an advocacy is like letting romance be what it is and romance is about love it's about people like having intimacy and so like that has to like the visual for it is something that is important like we have to like think about what we want romance to look like and sound like mm -hmm. and then go from there like as a readership as like a community. I think 
we have to think about why those things are happening, like why we're, why we need that now. And so to me, like that's part of it. Like, forget what people outside are thinking. Like, what's going on with us? I also just feel like the books are transformative, and we don't talk enough about that. We don't yeah. talk enough about, and and it, in part, it's because we're always on the defensive, right? Like everybody up here is always like, listen, they're so important and like they're good and there are sentences that are well-crafted and (laughs) stories that are fun to read. And, um, but the truth is, is that we all also know how powerful the books are in the hands of readers. And the thing, all the things that I, that we've all said before about how important it is that they, that we see ourselves in these texts and we see ourselves in happiness and hope and triumph and passion and pleasure and all the things, right? And that too often, I think, when we look at media, we find media that gives us that feeling as a society, we say that's less important than feeling hurt or harmed or traumatic or like, you know, suffering. And I think we do need to, we we need to interrogate so much about the genre, but we really need to interrogate why hope and happiness and power in the hands of people who are not naturally given it is less valuable to society in general. And I think asking that question in conversations about the genre often gets the other side going, oh, well, wait a second. Mm -hmm. I've had like maybe at least half a dozen conversations in the last like year now that romance is really kind of picking up where I have a conversation with like, I don't really read romance. I've never been interested. And then I ask ask them what your favorite movies are. And they're like, Moonstruck, Harriet Wynne Harriet. And I'm like, well. Yeah, Look, we're here for you when you're ready. Yeah. I hate to tell you, but you're a romance. You're a romance lover. Yeah, I would say also, and this is a bit of a. I too, I need to listen to myself as well. We need to be less willing to take the bait mm. of the criticism. Yes, because we then do end up in this loop of like defensiveness and attacking and sort of obscuring the things that the genre is doing when we all just pile on to the criticism or the, you know, I don't think this happened, but like say if like the New Yorker reviewed something that like to the us within the genre, like that is obviously a romance novel, but they would never call it that. Like it doesn't matter. Like your book doesn't have to be reviewed in the New Yorker to be a good and valid and important part of the writing world. And I think sometimes part of what will go into dismantling that is diminishing the power of the things that are bringing it down. So like, instead of aspiring necessarily to like, we need respectful coverage in the Paris Review, it's like, we don't care what the Paris Review says, which like, no shade to the Paris Review. Like, I don't, I'm sure they're fine. <laughs> but I mean, that I thing, that. you know, where it's always like, how come it's not here? How come we're not on this shelf? How come we're not being represented here? It's like, maybe we shouldn't care about that. Maybe we should care about the places that we are and building those up more. Um, and again, this is also advice I need to take <laughs> for myself yeah. of just looking at the places where romance is thriving and putting more into those than always trying to get somewhere else and sort of missing the things we're already doing. And making yeah. it better and more nourishing for the people that are already like willingly here. Exactly. Like, exactly. Like for us who are already here and loving it and like mm-hmm. we're devoted to it, like let's think about how it's better for, for us. Yeah. Um, 
Well, in that spirit, somebody did ask for recommendations. Maybe if each of you could give, like, I mean, I've been like, I'm not going to say a number, and I'm not going to say your favorite, but just a few books that contain heroines that you loved because that's the theme of the night, and then, and then um, Adriana and Sarah will be in the back signing. Essie and I will just chat right about whatever, sign something if you want us to. I guess. Sure. Um, but <laughs> contracts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't get to sign those. <laughs> Not yet. It's a bug thing. Okay. Um, I will recommend You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria, which is wonderful. I will recommend The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa, which is a phenomenal rom com. And I truly, like, she, I, I do think she's one of the few, like, actual people writing actual rom coms. <laughs> like, and yeah, comedies. so funny. Um, I will always recommend. Um, Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. But you mentioned the Ravenels. My my favorite actually from that series is Devil's Daughter. <laughs> oh, great Devil's choice! Daughter, great choice. Wes Craven is my one of my top five Wonderful favorite choice. heroes of all time. It's funny that I mentioned that because like Reese Winterborn is my whole well, life. Well, let's. It's well, hard to pick a favorite Ravenel. Re yeah. Winterborn. We just talk about our favorite. It's a Another panel. Winterborn is open. I'm all. I will also say Susan Elizabeth Phillips and like her entire backlist is. Amazing, but one of the ones that I, I have a really soft spot for is Heroes Are My Weak Weakness because it's it's a gothic and the heroine is a ventriloquist. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing. Um, also, um, The Day of the Duchess by Sarah McLean, which nice. is one of my absolute favorite books. I've literally read it like 20 times and it's a great segue to go into the hell spells. Mm. Just oh, read. yeah, it connects. <laughs> I was like, it is? It's the same fan. Well, the first one the, the first Oh, bless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could do this for all day. Oh, I know. Yeah. We, we really could do this all day. Okay, I've, I've like shouted a bunch of them out. I always start with The Caribbean Heiress in Paris, which is my favorite book of last year. Um, you can get at the back of the room. And you can get at the back of the room. It's written by... Hours after hours on Milagro. Oh, yeah. Also after hours on Milagro Street, which was also fantastic. Um, Joanna Shoup, who writes Gilded Age New York City romances that, ah, oh, they just bang. bang. <laughs> <laughs> Start with the Prince of Broadway and just enjoy your whole ride there. Um, but they're set here and it's magnificent and she... Literally, I've lived here for 23 years, I realized, as I was like walking out of the subway today. And every time I walk around New York City now, I think about Joanna Shoup's books and The Gilded Squeeze Age because research. of how great she is. Um, I'm going to recommend an indie published romance. We didn't talk about indie publishing or self-publishing at all, but uh, I really loved, one of my favorite books of last year was um, Heather Gare's Pref Preferential Treatment, which is... Very sexy, warning everybody, it's an erotic romance, um, and it is, the hero is a billionaire who works somewhere around here probably, <laughs> and the heroine is, who works for him, but then like basically the, the thing about erotic romance is the, the sex has to in, inform the story, it has to make the characters 
and um, his kink is being, you know, told what to do. And so she basically dominates him by making him divest all of his investments. Nice. And it's a banger. <laughs> the whole time I was like, what is happening? This is incredible. There's like a whole takedown of capitalism in the middle of I'm sorry, I know we're in Seven Wall Street and I probably shouldn't, but like it was. It's the, the whole room perked up. It's, it's incredible. It's honestly like Apologies to the billionaires romance. in the room. It's radical it's, romance. And this is the thing, the like, I'm so interested, and you are too, in books that are doing a thing. Yes. And that book set out to do a thing. Like, literally unpacking yeah. right? Billionaires are unethical while in, like, the middle of the BDSM scene. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, give her an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> National Book Award. Yeah. What was that again? Review. Preferential, Preferential treatment. treatment. Anyway, we could talk about more. I know yeah, where. Yeah. Um, I recommend all of their books, yeah, um, literally. Um, I'll shout out two books that I worked on, um, An Extraordinary Union by oh, Alyssa Cole, yes. which is a Civil War set uh, romance, which when I got it, I was like, wow. something. <laughs> you are really, and, and yeah, it's so good. Um, Kate Claiborne. Yes. George Yellow Long just it. came out. And I obviously so yes, recommend I this it. book. Luck of a Draw, my favorite. I, I, I could, I'm, like, I'm trying to pick, I'm going to say love lettering because we are in New York City and um, it is set in New York City series. and it is a love letter New York City, but like any Kate Claiborne will save your soul. Um, I mean, Luck of the Draw to me is the gold standard for fake dating. Zoe Naden? It's, yeah, it's yeah, the, the one where summer he, camp. At the camp. camp. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that, oh. It's not, honestly, like, if you want to write a fake dating book, read Luck of the Yeah, God. don't it's read any of these other ones. Just <laughs> read that one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and then on the list of books that I gave to friends who thought they didn't read romance, and now they read romance all the time, um, the ones we've mentioned, Laura Scoundrels, Flowers from the Storm. If you haven't read Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsale. Please read it's it. It's a ride. I mean, remember, it's old, so. Yeah, I, I mean, it's wild. Also, yeah. Kinsale writes like nobody else. Wild. It's very, yeah. um, it's, there's a lot going on in there. Devil in Winter by Lisa Clayton. <laughs> I probably read it once a month. Chef's, really? Yeah. A month. Yeah. Wow. wow. I, if I am on this, I have it on my phone, I have it in my iPad, I have two physical copies. Devil in Winter. It's the third Same book Vincent. in the Wallflowers. Same, Same Vincent. What a scoundrel. It that is. He's the primordial the scoundrel. Gold, the gold standard for it the road. It is perfection. And I will say, I worked at Avon when Lisa wrote that, and she, I, it might be different now, but at the time, she's like, that has this, that's the only scene she's ever written that made her blush. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> his son's book made oh, me, Devil in Spring. Yeah, now she does all kinds of things. Now she's like, <laughs> that, that opened the gate. Um, <laughs> And then another book, which I just, I reread this summer, which was an early book that I'd read, like, when I was, you know, a kid, which now I'm like, wow. Um, Sinful by Susan Johnson, who was writing, like, historical erotica in the 90s. And what I loved about these books is that, like, <laughs> they're wild. Like, I'm texting this you. book is so sexy in a way that I didn't know books could be them, because literally this woman is just, like, going to be married off, and she doesn't want to be, so she just finds this hot dude in his carriage and... and is like, you should have sex with me, but that is not how she says it. Um, and then they just like, like romp around women. town. And no, that is not how she says it either. No, I, know. I, bet, <laughs> I bet I know. I probably know that word. And there are, he gets chased down by her like 
father and the rest of her clan. She's Scottish with swords and there's a, it's incredible. But the other thing about Susan Johnson is that she footnoted her books. And so I'm reading these books and I'm like, and they said like, you know, French letters and there's a little like number. So I like flip oh, to the back and she like explains what French letters what? are. What? So there's all this like, ooh, incredible this historical research. also what you research. could do if you were writing historicals in this book, along with just like the dirtiest scenes you'll ever read. And then okay. this amazing love story. It's so good. It's and I, I, but it's footnoted. You need the prints. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to buy it. got to get on, get on eBay. Yeah. And I also, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know if like currently packaged versions even have that. But one of the things I realized when I reread it was like, I don't know if you could write a historical like this mm. now mm. because I mean, there are so many reasons, but it's like, I don't know, she just does so many things and I find her fascinating. So Challenge can you repeat the name, please? Sinful. Yeah, we, we got it. They're going to get This could go on forever. No, I'm only yeah. saying this because like, we want to make sure you have time to buy books yeah. and yeah. our booksellers are unlimited time. So I'm yeah. sorry, oh, yeah. Amanda. Thank you to Word Bookstore in Brooklyn. Yay. We wrote a selling books. And we didn't even That's Amanda yeah. back there. She's great. She's yeah. my daughter's favorite person. Mm. My thank you to the to the Downtown that. Alliance. We talked about like uh, mainstreaming romance and I appreciate you guys taking the time and, and doing this and creating this space for us. So Thank you very much. Too many romance books. <laughs> I also just want to shout out Dreaming of You because we talked too much about Ooh, the same yeah. event. Um, all right, guys, thanks so much, and we'll mingle. Thank you all. Thank you so much to our panelists, and thank you to Aaron for moderating. And as I mentioned, books on sale in the back. Grab a drink, grab a snack to go.